It was a hot and arid day, with the occasional breeze that would stir dust off the sidewalk and across the unpaved road. Little dust devils would waltz in and out between mule carts, carriages, and the smattering of motor vehicles that were chugging through the bustling veins of the city. The heat was just beginning to wane as the sun was making its way westward. The locals were all winding down from another busy day in the border town of Piedras Negras. Amid the native chatter of street merchants and shop owners, there was the odd American accent or two. There were tourists and visitors seeking the charm, the souvenirs, and that unique cuisine that you can only find in Mexico. Just across the river from Eagle Pass, Texas, Piedras Negras was a quick jaunt and an easy day trip option if you needed to entertain a group of out-of-towners. You could enjoy mariachi while sipping a cold drink and browsing the wide assortment of dried peppers, handcrafted jewelry, and other charms that were peddled from the sidewalks and stalls. But, unbeknownst to the hundreds of workers and tourists clogging the streets in the sidewalks of this little border town in Coahuila, Mexico, something special was about to happen. The events of that day would have a ripple effect that would reach forward in time, shaping the culture in years to follow and quite likely even changing your life in some small way, depending on where in the world you live. But to the casual observer, it was just another scorching day on the border of Mexico in 1943. If you'd been there, you might have noticed a particular group of people, a small cluster of respectably dressed American women, talking in concerned tones amongst themselves while periodically stopping to ponder an article of clothing or a braided necklace. It was a tourist town, after all, and the Americans were an inevitable and a colorful part of the local economy. Most of the local shop owners and bartenders had mastered at least a broken form of English, for which the monolingual American tourists were always very grateful, and which emboldened parties of lace-collared ladies in bonnets, venturing in from the Texas side of the river to buy the odd carving or enjoy fine dining in a foreign country, a mere five or six miles from their house. And that's what these ladies had intended to do, except things were not going as they had planned. Time had slipped away from them as they had drifted from store to store, first in Eagle Pass and then moving on to Piedras Negras. And here they stood in front of their intended destination, but the restaurant was closed for the day. It was an unexpected inconvenience, and the sweltering heat didn't make things any easier. Among them was Mamie Finan. Mamie knew of a place. It was a local stable called the Victory Club. And when it too turned out to be closed, she made her case to the Mater d'. He was a polite local man named Ignacio Anaya. Anaya recognized Mamie, and taking pity on the group of famished American women, Anaya went to look for the cook. Perhaps he could talk him into another few hot plates before the ovens were all cleaned. But Anaya couldn't find the cook, who had apparently left for the day. Anaya, who had some experience in the kitchen himself, decided that he couldn't allow these American women to leave empty-handed, even if he had to fill the order himself. Unfortunately, though, because the kitchen was closed, he couldn't serve any of their traditional menu items. He was going to have to get creative. Standing in the empty kitchen, he scanned the shelves and the counters for options, and there weren't many. He found a few tostadas, a round of Wisconsin cheese, not exactly a four-course meal, but nevertheless, he grated the wheel of cheese over the tostadas and tossed the whole thing into what's called a salamander. It's a type of broiler that looks like a stainless steel chest of drawers. It's got pull-out grates and slots to watch the food cook. 
It wasn't much, but Mamie Finan and her friends would at least have a hot meal. So after the simple arrangement had warmed, he topped it with a slice of jalapeno for good measure and then served this nameless item to the ladies. The ladies loved it, and they thanked Ignacio Anaya for his kindness. But nobody knew what to call it, and no one had ever eaten this dish before. Mamie, who had eaten at the Victory Club before, knew Ignacio Anaya by a first-name basis, and she called him by his nickname, Nacho. She decided to dub the dish Nachos Especiales, which means Nachos Special in English. Eventually, the name was shortened and the possessive apostrophe got dropped. And if you're anywhere on the American continent, there's an excellent chance that you've ordered nachos in one of its many famous variations. But whether you had corn chips, refried beans, avocado, or perhaps even shredded chicken or ground beef, you owe all of that cheesy goodness to Ignacio Nacho Anaya, a kind mater d' in Piedras Negras, Coahuila, Mexico, who, even though his shift was over, took pity on Mamie Finan and her friends in 1943 and spent an extra hour to craft what would become one of the most unintentionally iconic appetizers in American history. And every year, people traveled to Piedras Negras by the thousands to celebrate Nacho Fest in honor of Ignacio Nacho Anaya and, in a way, maybe even Mamie Finan, who was too hungry to take no for an answer. Which goes to show that all it takes is a little compassion, some creativity, and maybe even a bit of cheese to do something fascinating. Thanks for joining us for today's story. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more content like this, please share it with a friend. Consider going to the podcast app and giving us a good rating. We'd love to hear your thoughts, your comments, and your questions, and we look forward to seeing you next time on Fascination Break.